Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. This podcast is designed to hold space for honest conversations. From purity culture to faith, sexuality, relationships, identity, culture, deconstruction, and more. My hope is to look doubt in the face, be curious, seek God, and ask meaningful questions to address any elephant in the room with openness, nuance, and grace. I won't pretend to be an expert and definitely don't have all the answers. And though it may feel easier and more comfortable to exist in the black and white, I invite you to discover God with me in the gray and unexpected spaces. So whoever you are, whatever you do or don't believe, you are welcome here and have a seat at this table. Make sure you're subscribed to the Refined Collective Podcast on iTunes. So each week when a new episode drops, it'll download straight to those devices. And while you're at it, if you feel so inclined, leave us a five-star rating and written review. It would be so helpful to get our message out there. All right, let's go ahead and get to it. Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I am your host, Kat Harris, and I want to give a special shout out and thank you to Newsstand Studios here at Rockefeller Center for producing and hosting my podcast. I am so very grateful for y'all. You can find them on the Instagram at Rockefeller Center or Twitter at Rock Center NYC. It has been about two and a half months since I have recorded a podcast So today is my first podcast recording. I just made a really tasteful sexual joke about (laughs) this episode popping my summer cherry back (laughs) into the podcast studio. So guys, I'm coming in hot today. Today, I'm so excited about this new season of the podcast. I'm excited about having more honest conversations. It was so nice to kind of relaunch our top 10 most downloaded episodes of all time and just have a breather. So thank you so much for giving me that space to do that. Today is special because we have a repeat guest. You actually heard Dr. Celeste Holbrook in the TRC Remix series because her episode on painful sex and purity culture is one of the top 10 most downloaded episodes of all time. And as I was processing through where I want to take the podcast, honestly, something that just kept coming up for me was sex ed. Growing up in purity culture and church culture and abstinence-only teaching, I realized there's so much that I don't know. And then I went to the Instagrams and did a bunch of polls. And just even the basic sex ed components, you guys were like, I I don't even know what's down there. Like, what's it really called? So I thought I would bring Celeste Holbrook back on today. She is a professional sexologist, speaker, and author. And I don't know if this is most important, but it is to me and also a dear friend. So welcome, Celeste. Thanks for being here. Hi, Kat. I always love hanging out with you. And if it means we get to talk about sex, then all the more fun. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I was just telling Joe, my producer, how convenient it is to have a friend who's a sexologist. The, the text messages that I send you. <laughs> I mean, do you get that a lot from your friends? Are they like, oh, I can just ask Celeste the most personal questions ever? Yes, it is the very best part of my life. <laughs> I know the sex lives of most of my friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not in great detail. Um, but I have, I feel like I have a really great ability to um, like just put b- boundaries up around it. Like if I know interesting facts about my friends and their sex lives with their partners, like it doesn't even bother me. Or, and, and lots of times I don't even remember like when we're hanging out or having drinks or mm-hmm. something and like, Oh, but don't say anything to so-and-so. I'm like, say anything about what? Like, I think, you know, God put me on this earth to provide safe spaces to talk about sex. And it's a, it's a real privilege. Like I take it very mm-hmm. seriously that people share their most vulnerable stuff with me. And so, you know, I really do. It's in one ear and out the other until I need to access that information again, typically. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's good. It's good. You're definitely a trustworthy friend. And I texted mm. you recently, and I think in this text thread back and forth with you is when we kind of realized we wanted to do not only this episode, but this uh, the sex ed workshop series that we're going to be doing September and through the fall. But mm. I had this moment this somewhere where I turned 36 and I was just I've been researching a ton about sexuality for years now because of my book. And it just, I just keep researching more and more. I started reading this book, Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski on like female sexuality in the body. It's like wrecking my world. And I have this like tension as like growing up as a Christian of, you know, yes, like I'm 36, I've been saving myself for marriage, but then I realized I know such little basic knowledge and I had this moment where I texted you, Celeste, I'm 36 years old and I don't know how to use a condom. Yeah, sure. <laughs> like, sure, sure I sure. felt like that's something that I I feel like I need to know how to do. And I felt like a sense of shame for not knowing something that like I, it seems like a lot of teenagers know. And I felt this, wow. I feel like in the area of sex ed, I'm so behind Mm -hmm. and I don't want to feel shame about that. This has been a life path that I chose. Some of it was chosen for me and I'm wading through a lot of that. But I just feel like at this point, I really want to learn and grow and and learn just even just the basics of sex ed. So that's why I texted you. I was like, Celeste, how do I put on a condom? You're like, it's okay. I'm going to send you some condoms and, and you're going to send me a, a, a dildo, a dildo yeah. so to, I can to practice. practice on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. I just love how you, the last thing you do in any conversation is shame anyone for what they have or haven't done. And, and so I'm just grateful for, for that. Wow. Well, I'm grateful for you and the willingness to put yourself out there and say, like, I don't know these things. And I feel kind of ashamed, mm-hmm. you know, that I have gone this far and don't know how to put a condom on. But you are not alone. I taught yeah. I taught condom uh, application yesterday to a 38 year old. No big mm-hmm. deal. You know, yeah. so you are just not alone. Um, and it. And to be fair, you didn't get a whole lot of that. Nobody was giving it to you. And it's hard to find, or it can be intimidating to find friendly sex ed, like accessible, friendly sex ed. Mm -hmm. Um, It can be hard to find. So I'm glad that we are, you know, you are paving the way in that and providing it for your listeners. Oh, thanks Celeste. And I mean, we both grew up in church culture Mm -hmm. and your whole story is amazing. And if people haven't heard it, go listen to our podcast on it. We'll link it in the show notes, (laughs) but we both grew up in Christian culture. And I like, I was thinking back before this episode and I realized I didn't ever learn about sex at school. I learned about it at home. Like my, my mom was actually like pretty sex positive of just, Mm -hmm. just normalizing sex, but we never talked about details and yeah. it was also always taught, you know, wait until marriage to have sex. And then I became a Christian and it was, you know, wait until marriage to have sex. And yeah. the idea, and I don't know if you experienced this in Christian culture as well, was if we teach people how to put on the condom, then they're going to have the sex. Or if we talk about <laughs> <Right>. STDs <laughs> or if we talk about oral sex or consent, then everyone's just going to go out and do it. What are yeah. your thoughts on that approach to sex ed and whether or not that works? Yeah. So if, so I come from a behavior change background. I have a PhD in public health and behavior change. And so um, what we know about healthy behaviors and the reasons why people engage in healthy behaviors, we know that the more information a person knows, the healthier that they can make their choices. And the, the more informed they are, the better choices they typically can make or can get out of situations that feel unhealthy. Um, this is no different in sex. We know that the more information a person has about sex and sexuality, the more likely they are to make healthy decisions about sex and the more likely they are to make informed and personal decisions instead of decisions based on what they see or what they feel they should be doing from outside sources. So just like, you know, just because I let my kids 
you know, I have two kids. I let them play with cars when they're nine. Um, I'm not afraid they're going to get in the car and drive off, you know, but I model Mm -hmm. good driving behavior, right? I model good driving behavior. Every time they get in my car, I am, you know, driving safely and they're learning about stop signs and all of that. And so when it does come time for them to take driver's ed, they've already been modeled good driving behavior. They've already been had access to, um, information about cars and then they can feel comfortable starting driver's ed. Mm -hmm. So it works in all different situations, but, um, sex is no different. It is a learned behavior. Um, and so it is something that we need to start learning about early so you can do it in a healthy way. Yeah, I agree. And I think what you're talking about, and this was kind of my process in the book, Sexless in the City, is realizing I had not had sex up until now because I thought that's what I had been told to do. And mm-hmm. that was what it meant to be a good Christian. And I had ex- I was externally motivated. And when rubber hit the road, I realized I have no internal, inside out, deep sense of why outside Mm -hmm. of, I think the Bible tells me so. And I, when I started asking a lot of these questions, do I want to have sex or not? What is sex? What is sexuality? All these things. I, I feel like I scared a lot of Christians and a lot of people in my life. Like, oh, if you ask these questions, then what, what does that mean you're going to do? And really what it ultimately meant is I got to develop a healthy sexual ethic from the inside out. And actually, a lot of my decisions are the same as before. It's just I don't feel like a victim to Christianity anymore. I don't feel like a right. victim to any external pressure, which I think is what we're trying to do here with the sex ed stuff. I just want to like compliment you and validate your process because that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to help people build their own sexual ethic based on what, you know, they know about sex ed based on their intuition and based on their value system. And that's it. Yeah. Like we we just want people to have the information that they need in order to create their own value system. Like you've gone through the process mm-hmm. of doing. It's yeah. beautiful. And you've really helped me in that process. So oh, yay. <laughs> All right. So Yay, sex. Okay, so Sex Ed 101. I put up a poll on Instagram a few weeks ago asking people a ton of questions. I asked people if they grew up in abstinence only sex ed teaching, did they feel like confident or equipped to approach their sexuality? And like 80% plus said no. Mm -hmm. So Then I had another thing and I said, what questions do you have? And you've now seen the Google Doc. It's like hundreds and hundreds of questions. So we're going to go through some of them today. Should we just like jump in? Yeah, I think we can just jump in. I'm so excited about all of these questions that your your following did such a great job asking questions. Yes, I feel so grateful for how honest they my my people got in these in these DMs. So let's just start with the number one question that I got. <laughs> what is the G-spot? Is the G-spot real? And how do I find mine? This is where we could really use some video feed. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, for for art, you guys, don't get your head in the gutter. Um, so yes, the G-spot is real. It's named after um, Ernst Grafenberg. Yes, the a G-spot man? is named after a man. <laughs> Um, is if that's not like the biggest flex, I don't know what is. Um, <laughs> but so it's named after Ernst Grafenberg, and the G spot really is um, the backside of the clitoris. So if you think about the clitoris, is a large-ish structure um, on the front side of your vulva, and you see the um, glands of the clitoris is what you can see on the outside of the body, but the clitoris actually is fairly large and goes underneath both sides of the labia and moves backwards. The glands clitoris moves backwards towards the vaginal canal. So on the backside of the clitoris, (laughs) there's a spongy tissue, um, that is kind of analogous to the prostate, but it does not give off any, um, PSA antigens. So this tissue actually holds kind of a lot of interstitial fluid and it is different than the rest of the vaginal canal tissues. And so the G-spot is if you were to put a finger in the vagina 
and go, you know, about an inch or so up, depending on how long your vaginal canal is. I'm six foot. You're really tall. Our vaginal canals are probably longer than some other people's. So, you know, (laughs) it just depends on how far up to go. But on the front side, like towards your belly button of your vaginal canal, the G spot is at the basically behind the clitoris. And so, um, touching it or rubbing it or touching it with a toy or a finger or a penis can feel good. Some people do not like that type of stimulation. Um, another thing that's often associated with the G spot is, uh, squirting because the urethra actually goes right through that tissue. And so sometimes if you're really aroused and your erectile tissue is really puffy, um, the interstitial fluid gets pushed into the urethra and then out of the body, which is what we call squirting. And so the G-spot and squirting are related. Clarifying yeah. question. Okay, so <laughs> the actual squirt, that wasn't that question wasn't on there, but I have been curious about that. Is that pee? What is, what is that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we have tested it and it does have traces of urine in it because it comes through the urethra, but it is mostly interstitial fluid that's pushed in from that spongy tissue mm. into the urethra and out of the body. But yeah, it does have traces, traces of urine in it. And it feels like pee because it's coming out of the urethra. Got it. So, um, Which that means the pee pee hole, right? <laughs> yeah, that, yes. Okay. That's where your pee comes out. Yes, okay, absolutely. Great. Absolutely. Great. Okay. So every, every vulva owner then has a G-spot. This isn't like a mythical thing. It's not the unicorn. It's not of, the unicorn. No. Um, yes. We think everybody has a G-spot. We know that not everybody likes it being stimulated though. So that's the probably more important part. Got it. Okay. This is actually, was one of my questions that I had recently because my friend told me something about STIs and I was like, wait, I don't know what an STI is. What is that? Mm. And so what's the difference between an STI and an STD? So STI stands for sexually transmitted infection and STD stands for sexually transmitted disease. And typically healthcare providers at this point use infection simply because infection is like a catalyst for a disease. So not everything that you can get sexually is or turns into a disease. Um, And we we know that the term STI just holds a little less stigma, like having Mm -hmm. an infection um, holds less stigma than having a disease. And yeah. truth be told, not every infection turns into a disease. Like you can have an HPV infection that doesn't turn into like, you know, cancer. Um, and so we're trying to lessen the stigma around STI simply because they're very common and most of them are curable or manageable. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't need to be a super scary thing anymore. Um, We still want to ask for what we would call a STI status check when we have a new partner. Like a really kind way to ask is, hey, can we talk about our STI status? You know, so that you can disclose anything that you need to disclose before Mm -hmm. having sex with somebody. But yeah, that's the main difference. STI and STD. STI is infection. STD is disease. Um, And all STIs are infect are infectious, but not all of them turn into disease. Okay. So they're not synonymous then. Cause I was, when my friend and I were talking about it, I was like, when I asked her, what is an STI? She said, Oh, it's the same thing as an STD. It's just the more politically correct terminology. Yeah. Now. And that's how a lot of people explain it. And that would be an okay way to explain it too. Um, Technically, all diseases are, co- you know, can be caused by an inf- infection, but not all infections are diseases. If that makes sense, so Got yes it. and no. Okay. <laughs> yes and no. Clear as mud. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, if you have an STR STD, when do you think is a good time to bring that up? And I asked mm. that. I've gotten this question a couple times recently, and from some women, and there's just so much shame. They're like, "I'm so mm-hmm. afraid that this guy." will just dump me if they find out that I have herpes or mm-hmm. whatever X, Y, Z. So do I tell it, do I have it on my dating profile? Do I yeah. tell it on the first date? <laughs> like at what point do you bring up this information and how can you not live in shame? Yeah. Because I think there's so much shame with this stuff. Yeah, there really is. And this is a question like you and I probably should answer together because mm-hmm. you're the more of the dating expert. And I, my, my answer is like sometime before you have sex, Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, I don't, I don't know that there's a perfect time. I think yeah. it's probably different for every 
partnership, every person. Um, but certainly having that conversation before you have sex is important. But I mean, what do yeah. you think, Kat? Like, what do you think is a good time to talk about that? Yeah. So my response in a coaching call was before you are thinking of be- becoming sexually active with a person. So mm-hmm. how are you define that? If that's you want to do that before yeah. you start kissing them, if you want to do that before you're doing anything below the belt, any, mm-hmm. I would say as you enter into any sexual experiences to have that conversation. I think that's good. Am yeah. I a sexologist now? <laughs> you are. That's, it. that's all it takes. Really. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Another really fun question, because I've thought about this a lot is, okay, at what point should you use, you use lube? Because like before hmm. I used to think, oh, that's for when you go through menopause. Mm-hmm. You start mm-hmm. using lube. And I know a lot of people now that use lube that are my age or in their 20s or younger. So what's the story with lube? So I always say have lube handy no matter what, whether you're masturbating or in a sexual experience with a partner. Um, it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. <laughs> so always have your favorite lubricant handy. Um, so Typically, you need lubricant when sex isn't um, comfortable, as in like the skin of the penis or the sex or the sex toy is pulling or tugging on your vaginal canal skin um, or tissue rather. And so, you need lubricant to provide a, a literally a lubrication in between those two tissues um, so that they don't pull or tug. Often we associate being aroused with being wet. Like we got WAP last year, you know, (laughs) that really emphasized being wet, being aroused. But I'd like to suggest that we can be aroused in our head and our body without being super wet. Mm -hmm. And that is actually very common. And that's okay because things like, think about even things like antihistamines. If you're taking an antihistamine, it's going to dry up your mucus up on your nose. It's definitely going to dry your mucus in your vaginal canal too. So there are lots of reasons, even like birth control, um, lots of reasons why you might not be having your own vaginal lubrication. Um, And sometimes it just doesn't happen and that's okay. So having a replacement or an additive to your own vaginal lubrication so sex is more pleasurable and sex is more comfortable is always a good idea. Um, We There's some really great lubricant studies out of Kinsey that suggest that um, having sex with a lubricant like I think it was like 84% of people said having sex with a lubricant regardless um, made sex more pleasurable and more comfortable. Mm, that's so that's so good to know. And something that I just read about today and come as you are book with Emily Nagoski is non-concordance. Yes. And it was so fascinating to learn this. And I feel like I've known this in my body, I've experienced it, but I didn't know it was mm-hmm. a thing. And essentially it's saying, just because you're wet doesn't mean you're aroused or that you want to have sex. And just because you're dry or less lubricated doesn't mean you're, you are not turned on. Not aroused. And she said, whereas with men, 50% of the time, their like genital response and their sexual arousal is overlaps only Mm -hmm. 10% of the time with women. So isn't that that so interesting? (laughs) So a guy will be like, oh, you're not ready to have sex. Like you're not wet. And she's like, no, like I'm telling you, like I'm feeling really turned on. And so that was, that was really helpful for me, even though I haven't had sex. I've wondered like, what if the, when the time comes, like, what if I'm not wet enough? Or what if I don't have a WAP, you know, like, (laughs) I'm like, I love that song. It's so catchy, but I feel like it also puts pressure on women to perform in a way that not every woman's body is going to respond. And that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with me or her Mm -hmm. or them or whomever. It just, Mm -hmm. one thing that I love about this book is she says, we all have the same parts, but they're, they're unique in the way that they like function respond. Yeah. yeah. So they're like, everyone's yeah. normal, but it all 
everyone's experience is different. And I want to give a a shout out to the penis owners out there because arousal non-concordance does happen for them too. Like having an erection when you really, gosh, do not want to have an erection, you know? Um, So arousal non-concordance happens for both penis owners and clitoris owners, and it can be really frustrating. Mm -hmm. And so just having that language of of arousal non-concordance to to talk about what you're experiencing can be very helpful. As a culture, we're taught to do really kind of whatever it takes to advance our career. We'll invest hundreds of thousands of dollars into our education. We'll take intern jobs with little to no pay for the experience. If you're like me, you will have moved cross country multiple times to put yourself out there. But then with things like love, we say, oh, it'll just happen when it happens. And with things like, do I want kids or not? We say, oh, I'll think about that someday down the road. I'm focusing on me right now, or I'm working on my career right now. But what if we were just as intentional about our reproductive health and our fertility health as we were about our careers? The reality is women are having children later in life, but biology hasn't changed and we need tools to understand the future of our fertility. That's why Modern Fertility was created. It's the easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. Now, traditional testing with your doctor can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility only costs $159 to get the same information. And if you go to modernfertility.com slash refined, you can get $20 off your test. Also, if you have HSA or FSA, you can use those dollars on Modern Fertility. You'll get insight into how many eggs you have, hormone levels, and other important fertility factors. The results go deep into what every hormone means, and you can also talk one-on-one with a fertility nurse to review your results and options for next steps. If you want kids today or maybe one day in the future, you need information to make the decision that's best for you. So right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners at the Refined Collective $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash refined. That means you get the test for $139 instead of the hundreds or thousands it would cost you at a doctor's office. So get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash refined. Again, that's modernfertility.com slash refined. We live in a digital world and first impressions are everything. So if you're looking to make an impact with your online content, you need Issue. The easiest way to make your creative ideas come to life and share everywhere you want to be seen. Issue is the all-in-one platform that helps creators, marketers, designers, and really anyone who wants to make content that stands out. With Issue, you can create and distribute beautiful and easy-to-view digital content from marketing materials to magazines to flipbooks and brochures and more. And what I love about it is it works seamlessly with tools that you already use, like Canva, Dropbox, and InDesign. With Issue, you make it once and distribute it everywhere without reformatting a thousand times. Your content is already optimized for engagement and ready to share. And you can start using Issue today for free. So get started with Issue today for free, or if you sign up for a premium account, you will get 50% off when you go to issue.com slash podcast and use promo code CAT. That's I-S-S-U-U dot com slash podcast and use promo code CAT at checkout for your free account or 50% off your premium account. That's issue.com slash podcast with promo code CAT. Okay. So a little bit more about lube. Okay. Does it mess with your pH balance? And then do you need to use a different type of lube if you're doing using a toy versus um, like hands or penis? Is Yeah. What are the differences there? There's in general about three types of lubes. And we're like, we're talking about in generalities right now. So there's silicone, there's hybrid, and there's water-based. Um, there's also like some creamy oil-based lubes, which we don't necessarily recommend most of the time because they're not, uh, they're not compatible with condoms. But um, so your general lubes are silicone and water-based. And then there's like a combination, which is called hybrid. So your silicone lubricant is um, a silicone molecule and silicone is too large 
of a molecule to be absorbed into the vaginal tissue, I'm making all sort of these gestures <laughs> like your listeners can hear me, but um, it's too large to be absorbed into the vaginal tissue. So it just, it literally acts as a pillow. It is a pillow of, you know, liquid in between your vaginal canal and whatever is inside your vaginal canal, a finger, or a penis, or a toy. Um, and so that is one of the best recommendations for like, if you do experience some, uh, some vaginal pain or, um, you know, rubbing silicone lubricant is really like the creme de la creme of, uh, lubricants as far as providing some protection for you. Um, hybrids are a great way to go too, because silicone, because it doesn't absorb into the vaginal tissue, it can be a little bit more on the messy side because it just has to come out. Like it's not going to be absorbed into your body, um, at all, but it does make it very, very, very safe. We often think, oh, I don't want to put silicone in my body. It literally does not go into your body. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it has to be washed back out. Like it cannot be absorbed into your body. Um, and so then you have a hybrid, which is water and silicone. Um, Uber Lube is one of my favorites for a hybrid lubricant. And it, you know, it is exactly what it sounds like. It has a little bit more of that natural feel, like a water-based lubricant feels a little bit more like your natural lubricant. And, but it has a little bit more of that slickness of silicone. And then you have your water-based lubricants, which are going to feel the most like your own vaginal lubrication, and they will absorb into your skin. And so you might have to reapply possibly, um, but they will feel a little of that less like super slippery and a little bit more viscous, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. like a little bit more like your own vaginal lubrication. Um, water-based lubricants are, are really probably the most clean. Um, I, I like to say silicone-based lubricants are very natural too, even though you're working with silicone simply because they wash out of the body. They don't get absorbed into the body at all. Um, you do not want anything with like a, a sugar or a sucrose or a sucralose or anything like that in it. Some flavored lubricants, some low quality flavored lubricants are going to have those types of ingredient decks and you want to stay away from that. Most lubricants, especially if you're going to buy them at a, like at a novelty store, like at a velvet box or something like that are going to be high quality. So mm -hmm. you don't really have to worry about something if you're going to buy it at a store. If you're buying it online, you need to read the ingredient deck to make sure yeah. that you're not getting something with sugar in it because that will mess up your yeah. pH for sure. And then to clarify, do you need a certain type of lube for a toy versus body parts? Yes. So if you have a silicone toy, a toy that is made out of silicone or has a silicone outer um, covering, you don't want to use silicone lubricant. Is it going to be like the end of the world? No. But silicone does, like silicone on silicone does like like dissolves like if that makes sense so mm, silicone okay. on silicone will dissolve each other if you leave it on there for too long so you want to use a okay. water-based lubricant with a toy a silicone okay. toy good to know good to know all yeah. right <laughs> moving on such great info um okay at what point should you be going to the OBGYN or getting pap smears any of that stuff how often what if you're not sexually active at slash what if you're a virgin I believe it is once you become sexually active, you need to go once every every three years until you're 35, and then it's once every year. I should probably read up on that. Um, but if you are sexually active and you don't necessarily need help with your birth control, I think it's once every three years when you're 35, and then once every year after 45, something like that. And that's for pap smears? Yeah, which is when they take a a like piece of your cervix and test it. Got it. If you have like birth control questions, like you would need to go more often uh, to get checked in and stuff. And then, so if you're not sexually active, at what point should you be getting a pap smear or going to the OBGYN? Should you just never go or what's the general rule of them there? Yeah, you should definitely still go get your pap smears because that, that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with your sex, your sexual activity. Um, and so you, you might not need to go very often if you're not on birth control, but if you are, you know, needing to get your pap smear, I, you know, again, I should have read up on my, OCA, on my recommendations for this by age group, but I believe it is every, I want to say every three years, if you're before 35, 
45 and then every two years after or every year after 45, something like that. Yeah, we need to check on it. that cat. Okay. I don't want to say the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it just I did a quick Google search and said women should start pap smear screening at age 21. And then um, between ages of 21 and 29, um, pap spirits who are normal need it repeated every three years. And then women's women ages 30 and over should have testing for HPV with their pap smear. And so it looks like at every sort of three years or so, mm-hmm. my friends who are both sexually active and not sexually active go once a year. A lot of people use their OBGYN like a family doctor. They won't mm-hmm. have both. And so mm-hmm. that's why I was hesitant to like give that recommendation because um, they can pull your blood panels. They can do other stuff too, not just your your reproductive stuff. Yeah, so. yeah for sure. All right. So, oh my gosh, some, so many good questions. How are we going to get through them all? <laughs> are blue balls a thing? Oh, the old blue ball question. Because parentheses, (laughs) I don't know if you watch the show Too Hot to Handle on Netflix. Mm -mm. Okay, there is a the total douchebag on the show. I cannot remember his name. But the whole thing about the show is you are on this like, or maybe it's called Love Island. No, it's Too Hot to Handle. Anyways, people, reality love show, they get on the island. And in order to win the money, they can't touch mm-hmm. each other the whole time they're there. And anytime they touch each other, you the, as a group, you lose like thousands of dollars. And this one guy was like, that's a hilarious premise. Oh, it's seriously, I had to go to the doctor. It was so painful. My My blue balls, I had to get medicine for it. And just was like, it was like he was suffering. And I was like... Uh, I don't know about that, man. So, but I don't know. Like, I felt like he was being a total douche. But what, what, tell me about blue balls. So, like, can they not touch themselves? Do they lose money if they masturbate? Uh huh. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And so the thing is, is he ends up going and masturbating and because he's like, it was so painful. I couldn't do, like, I just couldn't even function. I, I had to. And so then the whole team lost a couple thousand dollars because he did Man, it's quality television. Mm -hmm. I need to watch this. (laughs) Um, So here's my answer. The term blue balls is in and of itself, in my opinion, coercive because you never hear somebody saying like, man, I'm so excited. I have blue balls. (laughs) (laughs) Or like, man, I was with somebody last night and I left with blue balls. That's so fantastic. (laughs) Right? So it's always used. I've never heard it used in any other way other than to describe what somebody else has given them. Mm. Right? Somebody else gave me blue balls and now I am uncomfortable. So the term blue balls, I feel like is, is coercive. Um, because it is used to kind of shame another person for not giving, like giving in to sexual activity. Um, is it uncomfortable to have an erection and not use it? Probably. I don't own a penis, so I don't know on a personal level, but I do own a clitoris. And oftentimes it is very uncomfortable to be, um, aroused with a clitoris and not have an orgasm. So yes, I think it's probably uncomfortable on some level for sure. Um, do I think it is dire or do I think it is an emergency? I do not. (laughs) Um, I'm married to an ER physician. He's never had somebody come to the ER for a really bad case of blue balls (laughs) other than, you know, (laughs) things like taking too much Cialis or Viagra. That's a whole nother thing. But, um, but yeah, the term blue balls is typically used um, in reference to, to shaming somebody for not having sex. And that's why I don't like it. (laughs) And, um, there's always masturbation, man. Like if you are feeling pressure in your genitals, you can masturbate, you can Mm -hmm. get, you know, you can help yourself out. And what a beautiful thing that we can do in self-care, right? If you're really hurting, you can masturbate and the pain will be gone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And what I love about how you teach about sexuality, Celeste, is that my pleasure is my responsibility. And Mm -hmm. even just how you are describing blue balls. Yeah. I've never heard it in the sense of, oh, this is so amazing. It's like, oh, (laughs) 
this <laughs> this girl did this yes. to me and then like we didn't go all the way and then I was in pain for the rest of the day or hey you gave me blue balls and so now you got to finish what you Correct. started and Correct. and I think there's a in that idea there's such a lack of responsibility or ownership over the person's own sexuality and mm-hmm. I would say that if a person ever is pressuring you sexually because they said you did this to them. And so you need to complete what you started. I I would say like, that's a big hell no, that's not my responsibility. Right. And I don't think we should ever be coerced or pressured into any sexual experience, whether you're married to the person and you're like, well, you're my yes. wife. And so this is your job. No, like mm-hmm. your, your pleasure is your responsibility and we can have a conversation. And, and when there's mutual enthusiastic consent, let's, let's do this. Yeah. But it seems like I, like you're right. Whenever I've heard about blue balls, it's always, it feels like it's always in this, like you did this to me, feel bad for me until you make it better. Mm-hmm. Yep. Totally agree. <laughs> it is an unpopular yeah. opinion with um, people who own penises, that the term blue balls is coercive. I do not think that it's not a thing. Like, I think it's probably uncomfortable mm-hmm. for sure. But the term blue balls is only used in a coercive way, typically. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting how you put that. I think I'm going to okay. go for the jugular Rapid here. Fire. Okay. <laughs> does sex get better with time and practice? So this is all from one person. She says, does sex get better with time and practice? If sex is bad the first time with a partner, does that mean we're not meant to be? Is it possible to be with someone and physically not be able to have sex with them? Okay. First things first, the biggest lie we are told is that sex is natural. Sex is biological. We're built for pleasure. We're built for reproduction. Sex is not natural. It is a skill that we have to learn just like eating is natural um, or eating is biological, but not natural. We have to learn how to cook, Mm. right? We're not built. We're not born knowing how to cook. We're not born knowing how to have sex. It is a learned skill. So in that way, yes, sex can get better and better as you learn more about it. And as you practice that skill and as you practice your sexual communication and your, and practice understanding your body better and learning about your body better, absolutely. It can better get better and better, more interesting and more robust and more nuanced as you, as you age for sure. Um, so that's my answer to the first question, but if sex truly is a skill set, you can learn better skill sets with that person. And, and it doesn't mean that you aren't meant to be together. It might mean that you get to explore together and how beautiful is that, you know, but I do not believe that if sex is bad the first time, that means the person is not right Mm -hmm. for you. That feels very, very distant to me. Okay. So I hear that. And I think, you know, that's something that I've wondered and I know a lot of people have wondered, but at what point is it like, oh, we just don't have good sexual chemistry? Like, do you think that there is there a way that you can kind of tell we could like build compatibility? Like what's the what is like uh, an important component there? And at what point is it like we're just not a good fit? Or are you saying that that really, really isn't ever the case if both people are willing to show up and grow and communicate and develop their skill sets? B, I choose B, (laughs) that's it. Like, (laughs) yeah, if people are willing to grow and learn and, you know, work on it, um, then people can be compatible. If you're saying you don't have sexual chemistry, there's probably more to it than that. You probably just don't have chemistry. Like it's probably not just about sex. If you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so into this person. We are so, such a great match in every other way, but sex is kind of, we just don't have sexual chemistry. Um, I, I feel like you shouldn't give up on that just because the behavior of sex is, doesn't feel fulfilling like that. A, how much is that is your responsibility? Mm -hmm. And and B, why would you throw all of the the other stuff away just because sex feels hard, mm. which it does. Sex feels hard for a lot of people. Sex gets hard in marriage. Does that mean you should get divorced? In my opinion, no. It means that you have some work to do, right? Yeah. If we go by that logic in long-term relationships, most people would be getting divorced just when yeah. sex gets hard. We want it to be easy. We want it to be natural. Mm-hmm. And, and I think especially growing up in 
uh, a Christian church culture that's like, wait until marriage and then you're going to have the best sex of your life, like the wedding night. And, And I know a lot of people who, whether they've been having, I know people who have waited until marriage to have sex and people who have had a ton of sex before they got married and both cases not had sex the night of their wedding. <laughs> Whether oh, yeah. it's like they're too tired yeah. or drank too much, couldn't perform, or it right. hurt and they couldn't go in all the way. And so how would you say in that, if we're in it for the long haul and you're, okay, we're people here and we're trying to grow this skill set, how do you remove that pressure from that mm. first time? Because there's so much build up. Like I've been waiting for so long and I've wanted you for so long. And then the wedding night or the first time you have sex can just be from a lot of friends that I've talked to really disappointing. You're like, wait, that's it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's what I was waiting (laughs) for. That was a letdown. Yes. I call it the prosperity gospel of sex. Like (laughs) if you wait, it will be great. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Um, yeah, I actually had a had a consult with a couple yesterday who's getting married in September, and they have never had sex with each other before, and one of them is uh, has never had penetrative sex before either. And um, I, it's all about setting expectations, right? So mm-hmm. if you think about the way in which we find our expectations of sex, unlike any other behavior, we are not modeled normative sexual behavior all sexual behavior that we see is performed sexual behavior, either in porn or in media. The only sex that we see is performed. And so that's kind of our expectation or the only thing that we have to go on. Um, And so when you take some time to look at expectations and get educated prior to having sex the first time, you can kind of reset to this, oh, okay, I guess I need to make sure that I understand that we're probably not going to have explosive orgasms at the same time, like always happens in porn and media, right? Um, you know, or I need to have the expectation like that we maybe need to go slow if this is her first time having penetrative sex and we need to maybe use a lubricant, right? So understanding that all of the narrative in your head about what sex looks like is performed sex. It is not mm. experienced sex. And so giving yourself some room to say like, okay, this is all I think about, you know, performed sex. Um, I don't know exactly what it's going to be like. So I need to focus on what I'm feeling in the moment, what I need in the moment and what we are experiencing together in the moment versus what does this look like? Mm. Or am I reaching some nebulous goal like of orgasm or of, um, pleasure or of erection even. Um, so moving from perf- performance-based expectations to experience-based expectations for your first time is really helpful because it can make the experience really beautiful and exploratory instead of disappointing because we weren't like, you know, it wasn't a real banger. We weren't swinging yeah. from the chandeliers and my panties didn't end up, you know, in the ceiling fan or whatever. <laughs> so um, just moving from performance, which is all we know, to like sinking into your body and the experience mm. is a little bit better. That's so powerful. I feel like that's going to be my biggest takeaway from this conversation of removing the expectation from performance to experience. Like, what do I want to feel? How do we want to what sort of, in, like, do you want to feel intimacy? Do you want to feel pleasure? Do you want yes. to feel connected? And having yes. that conversation and setting those expectations. Because I think often we don't know we have expectations until we feel mm-hmm. disappointed. And then mm-hmm. we're like, what the heck? Like, <laughs> what? Why am I so bummed right now? And it's because, oh, right. I, ha- I must have had an expectation. What were those expectations? So really teasing those out with yourself, yeah. with a partner is, I'm yeah. sure, so, so helpful. Yeah, well, for sure. Celeste, this has been so wonderful. <laughs> Yay. So much more to come on this. On September 23rd, <laughs> you and I are beginning a three-part sex ed workshop series that yes. I am so excited about. Do you want to tell people a little bit about what we'll be covering in that? Yeah, we, you know, we've talked about this for a little bit and I think it's such a beautiful offering. Um, we're going to talk about anatomy because I think a lot of people don't get the full pleasure anatomy. Um, a lot of us get 
only reproductive anatomy, when in reality, most of us have sex for pleasure, not for reproduction. Um, so we're going to talk about pleasure anatomy. We're going to talk about consent because a lot of people have a lot of questions on consent and how to, how to, how to give and receive that in the most helpful way. Um, and we're going to talk about what to expect your first time because, you know, just like our last question, it is helpful to understand your expectations and to understand based on your past, what your future sex life could, could look like and what you could expect for that. So we just really, I feel like we just really want to offer friendly, accessible sex education that you can listen to your, to or watch um, on your screen that you don't have to worry about. We're not going to be mm-hmm. having explicit pornography or anything like that. It's just going to be great, friendly, accessible, honest, shame-free sex ed, which is the yes. best. Which is the <laughs> best. And it's going to be over Zoom. So there will, you'll be able to see us. You're going to have your mm-hmm. your models of here's what the vagina looks like. Here's where, mm-hmm. here's where the clitoris is and here's what a penis yeah. is. So yeah. I am so freaking excited for that. It's yeah. the first one, September 23rd, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you want to learn more and sign up, you can go to bit.ly, bit.ly slash trw dash sex ed. That's bit.ly slash trw dash sex ed. So. And we're going to learn how to do condom application yes. together. Woo-hoo. Oh my gosh. I am so excited about that. <laughs> All right, Celeste, thank you so much for your time and your insight. It's it's very invaluable and priceless, so I adore you. I love you, Kat. I'll see you soon. So a question I have for you is, what sort of sex ed did you have or not have? Did you grow up in a home that was sex positive? Did you grow up in church culture where it was abstinence only? What do you wish you knew about your own body or your own pleasure or sex ed that you weren't taught? What questions do you still have? I just want you to know that this is a safe place. And I have many of the same questions, which is why I'm having these conversations and why I love being friends with a sexologist. Like literally, if you could read the text thread that I have with Celeste, what does this mean? And what is that? And how to use a condom? And what is lube? And what's an STI? If I am 36 and I believe that I'm a pretty smart woman and I read a lot and know some things, if I have these questions, I know that there are so many people out there that have them too. So I really hope whether you're in a relationship or you are single, whatever your story has or hasn't been, I would love for you to join the sex ed workshop series that I am doing with Dr. Celeste Holbrook starting September 23rd. So if you want to check that out, sign up, go to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash T-R-W as in the refined woman dash sex ed. That's bit.ly slash T-R-W dash sex ed. We're going to cover consent, anatomy, the mechanics of sex and pleasure, and what does it mean to be embodied? What are more STIs and STDs that we need to know about? Just we are getting into the nitty gritty. So cannot wait for that conversation in that series. I hope you join us and get ready for next week. We are kicking off a three-part series with one of my favorite past guests, Manuel Reyes from the Knights at the Roundtable podcast. We are doing a series called He Said, She Said. It's going to be real talk, so you better be there. See you next week. All right. Bye for now.